Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Not long ago, our church's printer quit working, and it, it had this malfunction where the little screen, the little touch screen wouldn't turn on, it wouldn't do anything. And so I looked up the customer service number to see what you could do to fix it, expecting to talk to a professional, and uh, I think I was. But I was kind of surprised when the professional asked this very simple question. They said, well, is it plugged in? And I thought, well, duh. You know, but at the same time, how many times have you had a device that was malfunctioning and you realized or it wasn't working and you realized that it just simply wasn't plugged in? And it's not because we don't know that it shouldn't be plugged in. It's because it's so basic that we assume it should be plugged in. And we forget about that aspect. Well, in a similar way, when things are malfunctioning in our lives, I think we should ask a basic question. Am I plugged in? I mean, am I really connected with the Lord? Because we are completely 100% dependent upon him for everything in this life. We are dependent upon him for light and for life, just like that little screen had no light in it, (laughs) right? And especially if it's not plugged in, we have no light and life in ourselves if we're not plugged in uh, with God and our relationship with him. We were made to connect with him, and when we don't, it's like we're not even plugged in. There's going to be malfunctions in our lives, And so this morning, that's kind of what we want to talk about. Um, In this series on prayer, we've been looking at prayer as our uh, connection with God. Prayer is not an end in and of itself. Prayer is not just a grocery list of items that we're taking to God to get uh, the needs that we want. It's not just exchanging information with God because He knows everything we need before we ask. So what is prayer all about? Prayer is all about Primarily communing with God, connecting with Him, developing our relationship with Him. And as we're going to see today, that we are connecting with every member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our three-in-one God. One of the interesting aspects about praying Christians is the Trinity. Uh, I think we've all wrestled with the question, well, who do I, God's a three-in-one God, who do I pray to? To the Father, to the Son, like which, which one? I mean, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit like the Bible says? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to address that. 
not exhaustively, but I am excited to discuss it because enjoying our prayer lives, and that's one of the goals of this whole series, I want us to enjoy our prayer lives and not look at it as only a burden. Prayer can be hard work at times, and it really can, but because we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual battle, Satan doesn't want us to pray, our flesh doesn't want us to pray, but we need to pray and we need to see it as, as a, something that we were made for, something we need to enjoy because um, that's what God made us for. But enjoyment of our prayer lives can be enhanced if we just understand, if we have biblical clarity on it, on how to pray. So that's what we want to talk about. Uh, first, we're going to look at the Father and the Son's involvement. In prayer from John chapter 16, if you want to turn there. John chapter 16, verses 23 through 24 says, In that day, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says, In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask, the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. So the context uh, for these verses is what Bible students call the upper room discourse. It's a block of teaching where Jesus started giving uh, teaching, he started to teach his disciples in this upper room of a house where they celebrated the Passover on the night of his betrayal. He started to teach them in the upper room, these several chapters here that are in letters in red. He started to deliver this teaching in the upper room, and then it's apparent, or it seems that somewhere in the middle of it, I think it's the end of the 14th chapter, they actually got up and left, and he continues to teach them as they make their way out of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was eventually arrested. But in this discourse, Jesus is explaining to them that he is going to leave and return to the Father. This is where he breaks the news to them. I'm leaving, I'm going away. So the disciples are terribly confused, they're in denial. They've been in denial <laughs> for a long time now, denying that Jesus is going to be crucified. And they're grieving because their Savior, the one whom they left everything to follow, is leaving. But Jesus gives them good news. He says, even though I'm going away and I'm returning to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I think that's the day that he's talking about in verse 23. In that day, you won't question me about anything. Basically, in that day, you're going to understand what I've done for you on the cross. And it's going to come through the Spirit who's going to give you understanding. As you read earlier in the uh, chapter, uh, they receive the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and this new age dawns, and they realize it. And because Jesus would then be absent from them, they would start to pray differently in a way that they've never prayed before. They're going to pray, he says, to the Father in his name, and their prayers would then be answered if they did. Uh, he says, ask the Father for anything in my name, and he will give it to you. 
Now this is, as we've talked about, not a blank check on our prayer requests that we can ask God for a a jet and he'll give it to us or a Bentley and he'll give it to you. It's not like that. He's not Jim Carrey in that movie, Bruce Almighty. Do you remember when God exchanged his place with Bruce Almighty and and he's so overwhelmed with all the prayer requests coming in because he's a man and he's not God that he has this he has this Yahweh email account and everybody's sending him their prayer requests in an email and and instead of Yahoo it's called Yahweh. And he gets so overwhelmed with all the millions of requests coming in every second that he just types yes and replies to all. <laughs> right? And the world goes into chaos because of it. Well, that's not what God's talking about here. He's not saying, I'm writing you a blank check for anything you want. He's, he's not a genie. God answers our prayers in accordance with his will. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, or or sometimes it's get to work. Like, I'll answer it, but you've got to get your hands dirty kind of thing. But a few times, Jesus, in this discourse, says that's how, how to pray. You pray to the Father in my name. Again, something totally new, but that's our first point for today, is that we can pray to the Father. And we talked about this a little bit last week, what this means when we looked at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, how we have a loving Heavenly Father that we can pray to. Uh, we need to note that, and it's worth noting that in the Bible, whenever prayer is specifically discussed or in, in detail in association with the members of the Trinity, the prayer is almost always directed to the Father. There's a reason for that, as we'll look at. But prayer is directed to the Father. Jesus, he didn't pray to himself. He didn't pray to the Spirit. He prayed to the Father. It was always to the Father that he prayed. He had to spend time with his Father. He had to get alone in the wilderness with his Father. The Apostle Paul speaks of his own prayers more than once as directed to the Father. He says in Ephesians 3, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He prayed to God the Father. And as children of God, that's how we should view God. We're praying to God as Father, just like Jesus did. There are a few exceptions, though, where uh, prayer is not directed specifically to God the Father. Sometimes prayer is offered to God or the Lord in general. Kind of like in Acts chapter 4, where they just say, Oh, Lord, take note of what's going on here and how we're being persecuted. They don't specifically mention God the Father. There's no designation there. We pray all the time that way, don't we? We just say, Lord, help. <laughs> you know, we don't specifically designate it. Uh, another exception to this is Romans 10, 13, where the prayer is a prayer of salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, the Lord in that context is referring to Jesus, implying that we should call out to Jesus to save us because Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, John 14, verses 13 through 14, Jesus said, just a couple of chapters earlier here, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, implying we can pray directly to Christ, and he will answer our prayers to the glory of the Father. And that brings us to the next point, is that we can pray 
through God the Son. We can pray through God the Son. That's what he means by praying in his name. You pray through him. Paul prayed to God, he said, through Jesus. To God through Jesus. And why through Jesus? Because having returned to the Father, he is now the believer's heavenly mediator and high priest. Having become one of us, having died for us, he now represents us before God, the Father, at his right hand. And think about how necessary of a ministry this is and how much we need this because there is a great chasm between us and God. God is holy. We are not. We are sinners. And the Bible says that our sin is, creates a separation, a divide, a barrier, a chasm between us and God. And so someone has to bridge that gap between God and man. And the only one who could do it was someone who was perfectly God and perfectly man. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's how he becomes our mediator. You know, in the Old Testament, the gap was temporarily or partially bridged through other mediators. Uh, The Old Testament priests and the sacrifices that people offered. Moses was a mediator between God and Israel. Well, all of those Old Testament sacrifices, mediators, were all designed to point to Jesus Christ who would fulfill that picture. They taught us that there's a separation between God and men and that we needed some sort of bridge, but... Jesus is the one who comes and fulfills all that, and he becomes our eternal and perfect mediator and high priest and sacrifice, the one that ends all sacrifice, the one that that renders the priesthood worthless, as we read about in Hebrews. And so now, as his children, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can go every day where the high priest could only go once a year into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And we're encouraged now to come boldly in prayer to the throne of grace. We don't come to a throne of judgment. We can enter into God's presence. We're welcome there. One hymn writer wrote this. He said, Behold the throne of grace. The promise calls me near. There Jesus shows a smiling face and waits to answer prayer. That rich atoning blood which sprinkled round we see provides for those who come to God in all prevailing plea. My soul asks what thou wilt, thou canst not be too bold since his own blood for thee he spilt. What else can he withhold? We have a strong and perfect plea in heaven because of Jesus. So when we, guys, when we pray in Jesus' name, we aren't just using some, it's not a magic formula. This is not a prepositional phrase that we must tack on to the end of our prayers, though we often do. It's a way of recognizing that when we are praying, we're recognizing Jesus is our only qualification for access to the Father. He is our qualification. We're recognizing that he's the only mediator between us and God. 
And that's what scripture says. There's only one mediator, and it's Jesus. And this is why it's so absurd to pray to, to God through anyone but Jesus Christ, whether it's ourselves or whether it's like I was taught growing up that you could pray to the dead apostles or to Mary or something like that, anybody else. I mean, it is impossible to come to God except through Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to God except through him. I love that simplicity. You know, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says that Satan masquerades as a minister of light seeking to distract people from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But I want to share an illustration, I think, that helps us understand maybe what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Think about how difficult it would be to access the president in his Oval Office. You wanted to waltz in, you wanted to talk to the president. Well, that guy has such a full and guarded schedule that only people who merit his time and attention are allowed in to talk to him. I mean, you, to get in to talk to the president, you have to have some sort of credentials, you have to have some sort of accomplishments, or you have to have some sort of power base in order to see him. I mean, if you don't know him directly, you need to know somebody who does. You're not going to get access to him. Well, our somebody that gives us access to God, the one with the credentials to get into the Holy of Holies, that office, is Christ. He's our somebody. We are in him. So when we come to God, think about how practical this is. Here's where a lot of Christians trip up. I think in their prayer lives. We don't sometimes, especially right after you've sinned, and you know it too, right? You're, you're tempted not to go to God in prayer because you feel the shame and you feel the guilt of that sin and you think, how can God answer my prayer after I just did this? I can't even come to him in confession. How do I know he's going to hear my prayer? You recognize there's that separation there, a break in the fellowship between you and God. And that you need to reconnect with him. Well, the answer to this predicament is found in Christ. It's that we don't pray in our own name. We don't come to God in our own name. We don't come to God in our own righteousness. We don't come to God based on our feelings either. Whether we feel like we can or not. We come to him by faith in Jesus' name and righteousness. Isn't that good news? And we come to a loving father who wants us to come to him. When your children screw up, right, do you just, you just want to reject them forever because they screwed up? No, you want them to come to you. That's how our God views us. We want, he wants us as his children to come to him, to sit on his lap where he, and, and just pour out our hearts before him. I think that's a great way to look at prayer. We come freely in Christ and we're warmly welcomed. One theologian, Lewis Sperry Chafer, said, if we could just catch one brief vision of the glory, the majesty, and the holiness of God, from that time forth, we would marvel that any human being could have access to God 
And yet, through Christ as mediator, sinners are provided with an open door into the presence of God. Amen to that. We approach a throne of grace. Secondly, let's look at the Spirit's involvement in prayer here. The ministry of the Spirit is also essential for prayer. Jesus says to the disciples in John 16, 7, same chapter, just verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the Helper there? It's the Spirit, the Spirit of God. He's our helper, and he helps us in two different ways, primarily. Number one, he helps us with access. Yes, Jesus purchased our salvation, he purchased our redemption, but it's through the work of the Spirit applying salvation to our lives that we have access to God. He opens up that spiritual element where we can now, as born-again Christians, baptized by the Spirit in union with Christ, have access to God. And we're adopted as children of God through the work of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 says, look at how detailed this is with what Jesus said. It says, for through Him, through Jesus, we have both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So by the Spirit, through Christ Unto the Father. You see the entire Trinity there, how important each of them are in their expected roles. But uh, it's the Spirit who said to give access because He's the one who applies salvation to our lives. Romans 8 16 through 15 says, For you have not, uh, if you want to turn there, that'd be great. Now, Romans chapter 8, we've got uh, a couple of portions here that talk about the Spirit's work. Romans chapter 8. Verses 15 through 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. And it says sons, some of your Bibles. Uh, sons is the most literal. It doesn't say uh, sons and daughters because the sons were the ones in that culture that received the inheritance. So we've all become sons, whether you're male or female in a sense, right? That fits with our culture, but you know what I mean. Don't take that too far. Um, a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Uh, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6 basically say the same thing, that when we have the Spirit in us, with the Spirit in us, we become children of God, and we have that confidence to cry out to God, not, uh, not, not, uh, not so much in, in fear, but to cry out, Abba, Father. Like, Dad, I need to sit on your lap. I need to tell you something. I want, I want a relationship with you. We have that confidence that he's going to hear us like a father would attentively listen to his children. And so he gives us access through that adoption. But then secondly, there's the, the phase of ability here. Ability. Romans 8, verses 26 through 27, in the next uh, couple of 
about a couple of paragraphs later, it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we don't know how to pray as we should. How many of you feel that way sometimes? I don't know how to pray as I should. Here's the good news. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is in the context of this discussion on our future glory, I mean our redemption, when, when at the rapture Christ comes and gets us and we're fully glorified in our glorified bodies. What we're all longing for, right? That we all cannot wait for that moment. And sometimes, until that moment comes, we're suffering. We're groaning. We're longing for the redemption of our bodies. How many of you are longing for the redemption of your body today? As it breaks down. If you don't believe that, read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It'll give you a graphic reminder. But sometimes the longing that we experience in this life for God and for that restoration, that redemption, that full redemption is so intense that we don't even know what to pray or how to pray. I often, did, I have to admit, guys, when, when I'm going through something that's difficult, I, I have trouble with that because I want to pray that God removes it, but at the same time, I know God's doing a good work in my life through it. He's doing a good work in my life through it. So it's like, what do I pray for even? That's kind of how I see it in my heart when I read Romans 8 and I see that I'm being conformed to the image of his son through this, but I want it to be over. <laughs> you know, I'm conflicted there sometimes. But the Spirit of God, even when we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, we don't have words for it, uh, the Spirit, I think, does two things here. Number one, he teaches us how to pray. He's going to draw us to pray. He's going to prompt us to pray. He's going to guide our prayers. He's going to direct our prayers. And then secondly, if you're just out of words, the Spirit is going to actually intercede for you on your behalf without you even knowing it. Just like Jesus is in heaven right now as our advocate interceding for us and we don't even, we're not even aware of it. But he can, the Spirit of God can take our groanings, he can take our longings, and actually turn those groanings into communicable prayer to the Father. And he who searches the hearts and minds knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he's in union, perfect union with the Spirit. Isn't that comforting? That's some good stuff, folks. He gives us access and he gives us ability but in the, the overall scheme of the, the Trinity here, we've talked about it. We can pray to the Father. We pray through the Son. But now we can look at how we pray by and in the Spirit. That's the last um, element in that series. Pray by and in the Spirit. We looked at how we pray by the Spirit. But now we need to look at how we pray in the Spirit. Paul says to pray in the Spirit at all times. At all times. What does he mean by that? I simply understand that to mean that we should pray in harmony with the Spirit and his desires. That we are, like Paul says in Galatians 5, we're walking with him, walking with the Spirit, not with the flesh, 
walking with the Spirit, we're yielding to the Spirit, we're not quenching Him or grieving Him with our sin or sinful prayers. We have the mind of the Spirit when we pray. We're praying what's true, we're praying what God's will is for our lives, we're praying spiritually, truly, spiritually, biblically. That's my understanding of that. So, a powerful prayer life then is connected with all three persons of the Trinity. Isn't that great? Because all three are involved in prayer, though, um, through the centuries, many have understood that we should pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you grew up in a more traditional church, you know that. Some will do the sign of the cross on their head and chest and shoulders, and they'll pray in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And I think that came about because people recognized the whole Trinity was involved in prayer. Um, the, that ritualistic practice, uh, the earliest we know, started around Tertullian, who said that they would do a, a cross on their foreheads. They wouldn't do the whole head and chest and shoulders thing. They would just do the sign of the cross on their foreheads, and he didn't say that they prayed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That came up some centuries later, at least when that started. But um, I just want to assure us this morning that there is no biblical mandate for that. So if you feel like you have to do that because that's the way you were raised, I just want you to know there's no biblical mandate For that, God is not more inclined or less inclined to answer your prayers because you do that, because you make the sign of the cross before or after you pray. Uh, It often, because it often has mystical, ritualistic, superstitious elements with it, the idea that if I do this, God's more apt to answer my prayer, Um, and because it's not the most scriptural, uh, the reformers about 500 years ago, started to do away with that. So that's how that came about. My recommendation is that uh, we pray as biblically as possible, which means we pray to the Father, through the Son, in His name, and by or in the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't necessarily mean we always have to pray with a specific designation to the Father, or that we have to conclude every prayer with, in Jesus' name. With that tag on the end, there's no reason, there's no biblical reason to be that inflexible. There just isn't. God doesn't answer our prayers because we follow some formal code. Uh, Most of the time, though, you are going to catch me praying to the Father in Jesus' name. I'll I'll tag that on to the end. But uh, that's how I tend to pray out, out loud. Sometimes when I'm doing the the whole unceasing prayer, and we'll talk about that next week, what it means to pray unceasing. You're not going to go through some formal introduction, and you know, you're not going to do that. You're just going to pray, Lord, and you spill your heart, right? Throughout the day. Uh, sometimes we might just pray, Lord, or God generally, and we'll keep those Father, Son, and Spirit elements in mind without stating them. Charles Feinberg, another late great theologian wrote an excellent article on prayer in relation to the Godhead, uh, which if you want that article, let me know, I'll get it to you. But he says this, to say that one has prayed in the name of Christ 
is tantamount to stating that the prayer has been to the Father in the power of the Spirit. To say that the prayer has been offered in the power of the Spirit is claiming that it's been to the Father through the name of the Son. So closely is prayer related to the three persons of the Godhead. That's good stuff. But as we pray this week, let's remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and who welcomes us. And he welcomes us not on our merits, not based on our merits, but based on the merits of Christ, our mediator. And we pray by and in the Spirit. And the Spirit in particular reminds us we don't have to be giants in prayer. You don't have to be some prayer giant who has these flowery, polished prayers. We can come to God as children, sometimes not even knowing what or how to pray. And that's okay. Because true intimacy with God comes through honesty and authenticity. Just be authentic with God. Be honest. That's what he loves more than anything. And that's really what prayer is all about. Communing with God through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplications. Just conversing with him. And how incredible to think that when we pray, we're brought into that intimate triune fellowship that has existed from eternity past. Isn't that amazing? That when we pray, we're entering into the fellowship of the Trinity. You guys should note that God didn't create us because he needed a loving relationship. He already had it in the Trinity. He created us because he wanted us to enter into that fellowship with him. He just wants us to. So when we pray, we're acknowledging that. We're doing what we were made to do. We were made to connect with God. We were made for fellowship with him. You know, the picture I can't, get out of my mind is that picture of Revelation 3.20 where Jesus is knocking, maybe on the door of our hearts, seeking to dine with us. He says, if anyone, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Some of the best communion takes place over a, a meal, doesn't it? between people even. Well, he just wants to sit down and have a meal with us. He wants to dine with us. That's a good picture. And to deny prayers, to deny that fundamental reason for our existence of connecting with him, it's like trying to operate without being plugged in. You might as well cut off the power cord if you're not praying. And we had an air fryer recently that had a, what do you call that? They wanted us to send it back so that it could get it fixed and then send it back. No, they wanted, here's what they wanted to do to give us a new one because there was something wrong with this model. They said, just cut off the power cord and send us a picture of that so that we know. And I'm like, you want me to cut off the power cord? And I don't know if you're going to send me that or not, a new one or not. You know, so it's just, it's really awkward. I still haven't cut the power cord off because there's just something wrong about that. Well, in the same way, there's something wrong about us when we're not praying. It's like cutting off the power cord. 
But that's the attitude that we have sometimes towards prayer, uh, trying to operate uh, without a power cord if we don't pray. And we're often like the captain of a ship who, in a storm, knew his ship was sinking fast, and so he called out to his crew and he said, does anybody here know how to pray? And one man boldly stepped forward and said, I, Captain, I know how to pray. And the captain said, good, you stay here and pray while we all put on life jackets because we're one short. That's funny, but it makes the point that sometimes we just look at prayer as a last resort. It's something that we'll do if we have time. It's not a priority. I'll turn to God when I have malfunctions in my life. Well, part of the reason we have malfunctions in our life is because we're not prayed up. And so that's my encouragement for us this morning. And the good news is, is that if the, the ship of your life is sinking right now, the good news is that you can call out to him. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. He will restore, fix up your ship and show you how to navigate that vessel so let's pray lord we uh once again love you we thank you so much for your word and the time that we've had uh to spend in it we know that you speak to us through your word and uh as we continue to go through this series on prayer i just ask that you'd encourage us help us to understand what the bible says about prayer to think it through thoroughly so that we have confidence knowing that how we're praying is the way you want us to pray, that it's biblical, and that gives us confidence. And we're also thankful for the Spirit's ministry among us in our hearts that He teaches us how to pray. He prompts us to pray. May we not reject those promptings, but may we learn, Lord, what it means to just be in unceasing prayer and communion and fellowship with you. We love you and we thank you for this time, for this service. In Christ's name, amen.